Are you an aspiring creative in entertainment, business, fashion, design, or the arts? Do you want to elevate your creative passion project to the next level? Then this show is for you. Whether you want a career in television, film, radio, literature, music, or beyond, Creative Breakthrough will show you how to take your dreams and turn them into reality. This show will not only leave you feeling motivated and inspired, but also provide you real-life tools to pursue the creative journey you have always wanted. I'm your host, creative coach, and chicken wing lover, Shireen Kassab, a.k.a. The Funny Brown Girl. Yes, I have an unhealthy obsession with chicken wings. Now, get ready to flex your creative muscle. Welcome back to another episode of The Creative Breakthrough. A couple of announcements. Shout out to our listeners in the United Kingdom. I don't know what I said or I did, but thank you so much for tuning in. Also, in this episode, there is some sound quality issues, uh, some static and some echo. I apologize. I tried my best to clean it up, but sometimes technology doesn't go my way. Please don't hold it against me. And note to myself, I will not record during a thunderstorm again. Hey, in this week's episode, we are talking to award-winning vocalist Lauren Talese. Lauren has appeared in a host of national and international venues such as the Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts, Philadelphia's Academy of Music, The National, and most recently in front of a sold-out crowd at Philadelphia's Kimmel Center, among many others. She frequently collaborates with a host of internationally celebrated recording artists, including Bilal, Robert Glasper, Vivian Green, and Christian McBride. Her first album, entitled Gorgeous Chaos, was produced by and features in-demand producers such as Adam Blackstone and Ulysses Owens Jr. Lauren's record was listed as a top 10 jazz album by the Chicago Tribune and debuted on the Billboard Jazz Charts. In November of 2018, Lauren became the winner of the 7th Annual Sarah Vaughan International Vocal Competition. What are we waiting for? Let's get started! Welcome to the guest chair, Lauren. Hi, thank you for having me. Hey, I love asking my guests, when did your creative journey begin? My creative journey started when I was seven years old. I would like try to be a fly on the wall as my dad and his brothers were singing quartet style in our dining room. Um, all my dad's brothers, he has three of them, could sing. And they would sing things from The Temptations to anything Motown related. And I would like be so just entranced by them singing. And they would always kick me out because they were doing grown man things like drinking and talking about stuff I didn't hear. And I would always just try to come back. And one day they were so involved with what they were doing, they didn't stop me. And I started harmonizing with them um, because one of my uncles could never hit his note. (laughs) And so my dad just turned and looked at me and was like, you can sing. Oh, wow, you can sing. So um, from that point on, he and my mom put me in different troops and choirs. And I used to like go around and sing in nursing homes when I was little and, um, you know, perform for those residents and make them happy with whatever songs from back in their day. And from then on, it just grew. When did you know you wanted to be a singer? I knew I wanted to be a singer um, probably around 10 years old. It was 1992. And I remember because for my birthday, I actually got a CeCe Peniston tape. I was just like singing her music and I just was so passionate about it. I always knew that um, I felt at home singing. Like, do you remember CeCe Peniston? 
Yeah, remind me of her hit song. I for some reason I'm thinking Sisters, but I don't think that's her. No, she had the song. All my sisters with me. No, she was um keep on walking. I ain't talking to you anymore. Oh yes. <laughs> no girl. Give it to me. Yeah, she was awesome. I had my little biker shorts. It was like I had my all my nineties gear, yeah. So I loved her. And then also while I was ten, um, Vision of Love by Mariah Carey came out. And when I saw Mariah Carey on TV and I saw her CD cover and I heard her voice and how soulful she was for whatever reason I saw myself in her and I just at that point I knew I was Mariah Carey like I really thought I was her back then <laughs> you cannot tell me I was her <laughs> that's hilarious were you hitting the notes no and it was it's so funny because I decided to sing her song hero for my audition to Cleveland School of the Arts you know, when a hero comes along. And I'm sure I was like so much more whiny then. Like, but I thought in my head, I totally thought I was, I was nailing it. <laughs> so you sounded like a 2016, 2017, Mariah. <laughs> New Year's no. Eve. Yeah, that's exactly what I sounded like. How did it feel knowing your purpose so early in life? So it's funny because I never knew that people didn't. I thought everybody did it. Like literally this is a realization that I had in my twenties, like that, not that I'm super far from my twenties, but <laughs> that that folks didn't just wake up as a kid at some point and know what they wanted to do. Cause I always have, and I have the same best friend I've had since I was 11. And he was over like Memorial break. He was telling someone, one of our uh, mutual friends, how when I was in eighth grade or ninth grade, I booked us a gig at a venue because I ended up singing with my best friend and some other friends. And he was telling them how at 14 or whatever, I was booking us to perform at a venue in Cleveland. And I'm like, I was booking venues at 14 years old. Like, that's just, I mean, I just really was walking in it. So I just... That that was really surprising. And sometimes when you have doubts about what you're doing and you have those low moments and, you know, maybe work isn't as steady as you want it to be. You when I think back at the fact that I kind of knew what I wanted to do at this young age, it kind of restokes the fire. It kind of makes me say, OK, no, you're right where you're supposed to be. Just keep on pushing. You'll get through this moment. So you're in high school now. You're at this art school. You know your purpose. You know you want to sing. How do you make that a reality? I didn't have much confidence. I knew I liked to sing. I knew I wanted to sing a whole bunch, but I didn't know what my voice was. I just knew I really wanted to sing. And so um, it took for me to actually get to this school to embrace jazz and to learn that my voice was more akin to that of Sarah Vaughn or Astru Giberto or Nina Simone or Nancy Wilson or Lena Horne. Um, and I didn't hear that music until I got to this school. So that's kind of where I came into my own. And I, um, once I discovered that music through some of the elder classmen, I started getting more solos because I was like super passionate about it. I would lock myself in my room. I had a little tape player and I would like play certain songs, pause them, rewind them back. And like, just kind of like try to emulate what I heard on these jazz records and I could do it. And I felt like I knew, okay, I sound pretty good doing this. And when I would audition after that, I would like get more, um, people were more receptive 
<laughs> of me. So it was um, it was there that I kind of discovered my own voice and and really kind of pushed towards what I would be writing, how I'd be turning my my poetry that I would try to write into songs and that sort of thing. And then you went to college and you studied jazz there as well. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah. So my college story is a bit funny because I like from the age of 14 or 15, 15, I'd say I was like, I'm getting out of Cleveland. I love home. This is my home, but I want to see the world. And I, I don't know where it came from. Maybe a book, maybe something I saw on TV, but I just knew I didn't want to stay in. I didn't want to grow up in the same city where I had grown up, if that makes sense. (laughs) I wanted to kind of develop myself and and see other places. So um, as soon as I heard about college, I was like, oh, what colleges outside of Cleveland can I audition for? And I was looking at some place in Arizona. I was looking at Berkeley. I was looking at the new school in um, New York. And um, yeah, I wasn't thinking about Philadelphia, but Actually, the University of the Arts here in Philly came to my school, the Cleveland School of the Arts, and popped in a VHS tape and showed us everything that was going on in Philly and, you know, the music bouncing off the walls and the dance majors and all this other kind of stuff. And I was like, it looked like fame. Like, that's what it looked like, the TV show Fame, when I saw it on on the screen. And I was like, I'm so going here. Like, this is amazing. So I told my parents... First of all, I broke it to them. I want to go to school outside of Cleveland. That's for sure. And they were like, no, you're not. And I was like, yes, I am. And so at this time, I was working at um, McDonald's and a, and a local grocery store around the, around the corner from my house. And I saved up my money. My parents were still not um, supporting me actually leaving Cleveland at that time. My mom kind of was, but my dad was just like, no, he had put his foot down. So my mom was just like... I'm going to chill and see how this plays out. And now as a woman, I see. Did they not want you to go to school or did they not want you to leave Cleveland? I have to honestly say, I don't think if I decided not to go to school, I don't think they would have said anything. They just actually were not thinking about me having to go to college. They weren't. My parents aren't the type of parents that are like, no, you're going to college and you're doing this. They were just kind of like. In some ways, super strict, but in other ways, super bohemian and easygoing. They're they're strange, <laughs> but I love them. So they weren't pressuring me to go to school at all, but they really did not want me to leave home. Like they just couldn't fathom why at my age I would want to leave. And um, by this time I was 16 after um, UART had come to my school and they had already given me the brochures as to when the auditions were. And they were in November of 1999. And I saved all my money from my jobs. And literally bought my own Greyhound ticket and sat my parents down and told them I'm leaving on this Greyhound bus by myself tomorrow. I'll be fine. And they didn't believe me until I showed them the ticket the next day. And then at the very last minute, my father sent his brother because he was working. He didn't even take time off of work or anything because they didn't think I was serious. And um, he sent his brother up with me on the Greyhound bus all the way from Cleveland. We stopped in Pittsburgh and then we finally got to Philadelphia. And um, it was, it was just amazing from there. I had a great audition. I was really nervous. I remember it like yesterday. And um, 
I had to wait for the acceptance letter to come in the mail, like a hard copy of it. But once I um, figured it out, I started doing all my FAFSA stuff and and all that. Um, And even like up to me actually going, driving up with my parents here, my dad the whole way was just like, if you um, want to turn around right now, I know we're halfway there, but I won't be upset with you. <laughs> like it was a whole thing. And then he like took the wrong way and came like through North Philly instead of like the way he was supposed to. So he saw like all these street walkers and like, <laughs> it, was, it was so funny. And my whole family's in the car. I have three siblings and like, it was just a whole thing. Hilarious, but I made it here and I haven't moved back yet. So <laughs> I think they believe me now. So I'm going to be super ignorant with this question. Do most people who want to be a musician or a vocalist or an artist, do they go to an art school for college? No, actually, they don't. And sometimes I actually wonder if I should have gone. (laughs) But I'm glad I did. I met so many amazing people who I still work with to this day. So I don't regret the relationships I forged. I do regret Sally Mae and um, Great Lakes for contacting me on a regular basis to get some money back. But we'll talk about that later. Um, But no, a a lot of people I know either went to art school and left at some point or just didn't go to an art school and decided to do it their own way. I mean, I think everybody has their own journey that they have to chart. And um, I don't think it's necessary for every musician to go to a formalized four-year school. I did, but... I don't think it's necessary to, and I don't think most do. In my immediate sphere, everybody did, but I think also it depends on what kind of music you want to do. If you want to be a pop artist and that's it, if you want to be a hip hop artist and that's it, um, if you just want to be a singer and that's it, you don't necessarily have to go to formalize for your school. However, if you want to work in film and, and compose scores for movies or, um, do commercial work or just write scores for actual classical music in a, in a performance hall, that's probably going to be a lot of schooling that you'd want to do because so much of that is, is very formalized and it's better to learn in that sort of environment. But otherwise, it really depends on whatever floats your boat. So you finished school, you're in Philadelphia. How do you take your career to the next level? I mean, you've toured nationally, you've toured internationally, you've played in some of the biggest arenas in the world. How did you formalize your career to be so successful? So this is where uh, school did come in handy. One of the first people that I met upon um, going to orientation the first day of school was a a gentleman by the name of Adam Blackstone. And he's super successful now. But when I met him, he was successful as a a kid. He was 18. I was 18. And he got the bright idea one day to start um, creating bands for recording artists and national and international touring artists. Um, So before people like Adam came along, music directors, and there there are some others that came right before him and the generation that preceded him. But before he came along, there was not a, a really great process for singers and recording artists like me to, um, or, or, or like Beyonce or Rihanna or anybody like that more so, um, to find a band. They had to like, 
the managers and whoever else were tasked with finding the best of the best. People submitted tapes and all kind of other stuff. And there were long and drawn out auditions to see who fit best with who. Um, but Adam had the bright idea to say, okay, I know who plays the best. I knew who I know who I play the best with. So I'm going to put together bands for these recording artists. And he started doing that at a young age while we were in school. And at some point he ended up leaving school where I went to actually tour with these national recording artists. I decided to, to finish school, but um, he was achieving amazing successes in his own right, even back then. And so he afforded me the ability to audition for some of these recording artists that he was playing with, even while I was in school. So my senior year and some of my junior year in, in college, I was touring already, singing background for folks and, and going to Germany and London, going all over Europe and throughout the um, United States as well, just providing background vocals for folks. And then since that was the end of my college career, that's what I did um, for the first several years after I graduated, just was able to glean from these artists and their mistakes and their victories and just watch from the from the background. And, you know, it, it just was amazing to, to see. So. So when you were a backup singer, were you doing this full time? I was. I was. I would be out for months at a time. Was it ever hard knowing when your next paycheck was going to come in? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Towards the end uh, of my first stint at um, doing backgrounds, some years later, a tour got canceled. And um, by this time, I was already doing temp work in between gigs, um, just administrative stuff. And um, I had given my notice because I was going to be out for three months. And literally the night before the tour, I found out it was canceled. And I had rent to pay. Like I had stuff to do and I, I, I didn't know what I would do. <laughs> so then I was like, okay, Lauren, so you don't want to move back to Cleveland. You don't want to have to move with any move in with anybody. You want to kind of have your own situation. You need to find more steady work. Maybe it's time for you to take a break from singing background vocals a bit. And so um, that's what I did. And I transitioned from being a background vocalist full time to doing it part time on the weekends and being back for my nine to five. And then I did that probably up until last November. <laughs> um, I didn't do background. Well, I should say, I should backtrack. I, um, over the past seven to 10 years, I did a little, just a little bit of background vocals, but I really um, started trying to craft my own shows. And I started doing that while at my nine to five. Um, and yeah, I just would like put songs together that I liked or, or my original tunes and work with local musicians that I had met in college or along the way, just being in the city and um, just put shows together and, and worked hard on those shows. This one of my favorite parts of performing is actually curating the set of music that I'm going to perform and telling a story with it. And so I, um, I would do that for the longest time. And then at some point um, I contacted my friend, Adam, again, the one who I met when I first went to um, school and we had been in contact throughout, but I was just like, I think I'm ready to actually write and record a record. 
And he was just like, all right, let's do it. So while I was working my nine to five, I was doing that during the day. And then at night, rushing up to New York to perform or to record there or in Philadelphia. And I, I did that until the album was done. It took a long time just because it took a couple of years just because I was doing the nine to five and gigging at night and trying to record. But but I got it done. And so that's how my first record got done. And I, I'm extremely proud of that. Did it hit the Billboard charts. Yeah. Yes, it, it definitely was. It debuted on the Billboard charts. And I was so surprised because it definitely was an independent release. And, and a lot of times it takes for major label push to actually get you to chart or it takes money. Just you like kind of paying a, a promoter and all this other kind of stuff. And I, I didn't do any of that. Um, it was like through a labor of love that that album even exists. Literally everybody on it is, they're my real friends, like <laughs> friends in real life who just were like, Oh, you got this song idea. Let's go do it. And, um, they were just, just there for me, even not knowing what would come of it. And so, yeah, it, it just is something that I'm super excited about even to this day and really proud about. That is grit and hustle right there. I mean, working a full-time job and going back and forth to New York, that's what, a two, three-hour drive, even longer if you're taking the bus? <laughs> yeah, and I definitely was on the bus, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. You sound like Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart used to do that, too. Yeah, I didn't even know that, but you just got to do what you got to do, man. So I want to go back a little bit. So when you had to, when you stopped doing the background vocals and you went and got a nine-to-five did you feel some some type of way that you were sidelining your passion? Not then. I really started feeling it um, probably five, four or five years ago, honestly. I was watching my friends tour the world, of course, with the advent of more social media, new mediums like Instagram and Twitter and all the other kind of stuff as it came along. Um, and folks were really sharing what they were doing. These are some of my peers that I performed with and that I met on the road to see them still doing that and to see them being happy because they were creating and watching this while I was sneaking and using my phone on Instagram in between work, you know, it just felt like I was really depriving myself because that's what I wanted to be doing. And sometimes it takes for somebody to hold a mirror to your face for you to really remember like, okay, this is what I thought I needed to do at the time when I needed to survive, but I'm not in, I, I shouldn't be operating out of like survival mode right now. I should be operating in my best self and not in a place of lack in a place of I'll have what I need. So it takes you a long time to get to that point. But I would say about four or five years ago, I started feeling like, why am I walking into this office when I could be walking off a plane to a performance venue. And um, mm -hmm. that's when it started. This la like the last year or so, it started being extremely painful because I was getting more and more performance offers that I had to turn down because of my obligations at my, my day gig. So it just was, it, it was really painful. And I, I felt, I was starting to really feel depressed. And I didn't even know I can get depressed because I'm definitely not that type of person. I'm, su I'm super... Um, lighthearted most of the time, but I, I, I literally would wake up in the morning and just look at the ceiling and be like, what's the latest I could leave to get there before my boss gets there? It was like that kind of 
this is so horrible. Like, I just don't even want to go in <laughs> type of thing. And it wasn't the worst job in the world. It was just that it wasn't what I was passionate about. So what was the turning point? What made you finally in November of 2017 just say, I'm going to go back to music? I think so. I turned 35 in August and I literally I had a gig. I, I took my I, I would save up all my vacation days at my day gig and use them for gigs when I had to travel. And I got this opportunity to perform aboard a jazz cruise. It was my first time being at sea. We were going to um, Bermuda. And I, the person I took with me as my tour manager on that, on that gig, I said, I I need to, I need to be out of here by like October. I just don't want to look back and be 45 and say, I wish I had left because I could have done so much. I literally said those words. And I, I think I just, I put it into the atmosphere and I, that I had to go. Um, it just felt like, and I'm, I'm, I'm not a, interestingly, like I'm not a person that's ever afraid of sharing my age. I've, I'm blessed to see however many years I see. I don't feel like time is escaping me in ev- any other aspect of my life. I feel like I have time to do everything from living abroad to having children. Like I'm not in a rush. Uh, that's not me. But I do realize how um, precious time is in the sense that you can't live not actually enjoying it and actually thriving in whatever your pursuits are or, or your attempt to fulfill whatever your passions are. Um, and I started feeling like I was living like on 10% battery life. Like I did not feel happy. (laughs) I felt like (laughs) depleted at the end of the day. I didn't feel like singing when I got home. It was a whole thing. I, and I, I just, I couldn't do it anymore. That's, that's what, that's what happened. And when you left, did you know that you would be able to be financially um, financially satisfied? No, <laughs> and I still don't. <laughs> <laughs> I was scared as hell, and I think that's what you know uh, kept me from leaving in the first place. I, I I just really am in the type of person that would always want to have all my T's crossed and I's dotted. Like I want to know how everything's coming in and what's going out. And I couldn't make sense of it in my head logically, you know what I mean? Of how I could predict that this certain sum was coming in every month. And I kind of doubted myself, you know, because I didn't pay attention to, I knew I was putting in work while I was still working at my day gig or my nine to five, but I, I didn't realize how hard I was actually putting my ducks in a row. So, I mean, I had a tiny, tiny, tiny bit of savings. Um, but literally the moment I left, I started getting gig offers. Like somebody asked me randomly a couple weeks later to perform a gig um, opening for them. And it was like way more money than I usually got opening for artists. And then I won some contest to open for another artist who had a way bigger platform than me at a large performance venue. I randomly got called to perform at the Kimmel Center in Philadelphia, which is this city's like largest performing venue. And it might be Pennsylvania's largest performing arts venue, um, to perform just my music. And I, and I sold it out. Like I, I never imagined I mean, obviously you have to be confident to pursue music, but I didn't imagine that 
these sorts of things would fall in my lap and that I would be able to perform and deliver as well or as um I, or as much as I have been doing and I'm still like striving towards whatever this zenith is that I have in my mind that just keeps moving. It's totally a moving target. But I just, I didn't have any idea that once I decided to left to leave, the universe would be like, okay, now I see you're ready to play. Let's do this. You know what I mean? And I, mm-hmm. it's, it hasn't been magic. It's definitely been like some stress. There's, there's always going to be a level of stress. Like, okay, when is that call going to come in? Cause these funds are starting to get a little low. I'm going to need a gig. Like somebody <laughs> call me, but um, it's always worked out and, and, and God hasn't dropped me yet. So I'm just grateful. And it, it gives me um, that added push to keep being optimistic. And I really, it sounds super new age and, you know, spiritual and all that, but I, I really do believe I'm as best as my mindset is and my and and as high as my spirit is. And I think I've just made a decision over these past six months that I've I've not been there. I think it's been six months or so um, that I was just going to stay optimistic and that whenever I was feeling like a little scared or down, I wouldn't let myself linger in that space too long. So as not to like you know, knock myself off whatever energy I've been putting out to keep me afloat these past few months. So it's, and it's, it's, you know, I I, I just think I wouldn't have it any other way. I think that, um, I'd rather be stressed out sometimes or a little nervous sometimes about how things are going to happen and how financially stable I would be than working behind a desk, helping, you know, another business make its bottom line and achieve its goals while neglecting mine. Um, so I think that's just, that's just the mm-hmm. place you have to get. And until you get there, you're not going to leave whatever your day gig is. But when you get there and you feel like I hate waking up and going to this place that, you know, it's, it's time to leave. Every little thing gets on your nerves. Everything your coworkers do get on your nerves. You just feel completely weird and contentious and not like yourself. Um, then it's, it's time to try to, find some other things. And one of my friends, um, a guitarist named Ben said, Lauren, it's a job. And, you know, if you leave, they're definitely going to hire somebody in your place and the ball is going to keep rolling for them. So why wouldn't you look at it as if something happened that was out of your control and you couldn't deliver as much as you think you can, which you will never happen. You can get another job. Like, you can get another job just like the one you had. It's not like that's the precious commodity. The precious commodity is you and you fulfilling your goal. So why aren't you looking at it like that? And I was like, I don't know. And that was like three years before I actually left. But I remember all his conversations and everybody else that was like trying to get me to to come back to doing music full time. So it's just, it's just a mindset that, you got to embrace. So I'm walking on the wild side now. <laughs> well, you're doing a really good job walking on the wild side. So thank you. So what's your goal in your creative journey? One of my goals in my creative journey is to be Barbara Streisand when I grow up. She's another one of my great influences. And I and what I love about her and also um, a singer named Nancy Wilson is that they like saying whatever song appealed to them as long as it had good bones and was their song and if it their voice. 
Um, and they didn't let people put them in a, a pigeonhole. And they acted. They had their own television series. They were in movies. You know, um, they directed. They just were bosses. And um, I, I would love to achieve that level of um, self-sufficiency and creativity on a daily basis. I would love to be pushed to my creative limit and really hitting the mark every day. Um, that's a goal for me. So whatever that, whatever my goals are, like, I just want to, I just want to hit those marks and exceed my own expectations every day. And I want to surprise myself. I want to like do things that I, I couldn't even fathom. Um, and I'm just walking in a season where I'm just really, uh, open to whatever the possibilities are. I'm not stopping myself by saying, Oh, but I haven't done that before. I don't do that. No, I'm I'm seriously considering everything that falls in my lap and some of it's going to be crap and I have to discard it. And some of it's going to be, you know, huge challenges that I might be able to to live up to. So, that's 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 my goal for my career to constantly surpass my own expectations and um achieve things that I never even thought I would. So, what are some of the personal challenges that you faced and lessons learned in your journey? Personal challenges have been um, doubting, doubting myself, doubting that um, that I can sustain myself, doubting that people would want to hear my music, doubting that I was good enough, that I could write good enough, that I was attractive enough, that I was skinny enough, just self-doubt throughout my whole entire womanhood. I didn't, I, I questioned everything, literally, is this cool? Should I wear my hair like that? Should I do this? Should I do that? Should I say this? If I say that, what's that person going to think? Like every little thing. And so that's something that I really had to um, overcome. And it's not that I I one day woke up and was cured of all this craziness, but it's more so just resigning yourself to the fact that you cannot fight who you actually are. And that maybe if you embrace your quirks and, and the things that make you you, you'll be the most successful you ever. This is something that once we women actually embrace, like we'll be unstoppable. Like nobody can be a better Lauren than I can. But if I try to imitate somebody else or, you know, create a Lauren that makes everybody happy, then I'm going to be whack and people are going to realize that I'm not genuine. And that who it doesn't feel good to be around somebody who's pretending or who's trying to make everybody happy. At least it doesn't feel good to me and it doesn't feel good for me to do those things. And I think, like I said, um, across genres and career paths, that's, that's one thing that I've learned and, and have, have done well with embracing. So what advice do you have for creatives on their journey? <laughs> advice is so funny because I'm constantly like preaching to myself and trying to really um, motivate myself. So a lot of times, even on social media, the things I post, they're typically for me, but I share them because I think maybe other creators want to hear them. So I speak through that lens because I'm definitely no expert as it pertains to, to anybody else's walk. But what I will say is trust, it sounds cliche, but trust their visions, trust their own intuition. Don't get caught up with what they see on social media and everywhere else. Don't compare yourself 
to other creatives in their journeys because you don't know what it took for them to actually get to where they are and you don't know exactly where they are because you know social media is a whole mirage at times um yeah so i would say just keep your eyes literally on whatever it is that you hope to accomplish and align yourself with your desired result align your whole mind and body with what you want to see happen and what you want to create, why it is you're doing what you're doing and why you love it so much. Um, and I, I think that definitely, um, that's something that has helped me, um, and get to some place where you can actually hear your own voice because it's so noisy in this world nowadays. Uh, it, it's so, it's so noisy. And, and a lot of times we struggle to hear our own selves think. And if we can get to a place where we can actually hear ourselves think and we could actually process how we're feeling in that moment and get past certain mental blocks or emotional blocks we have, we could accomplish so much. So that would be my advice. And, and, and every now and then I would say, keep, keep that tiny group of trusted advisors of trusted confidants around you who subtly without even knowing it, remind you of how far you've come in whatever it is you're working on. Those are the the little pieces of advice I would share. <laughs> well, that was great. So let's jump right into the lightning round. The lightning round, I'm going to ask you rapid fire questions and just tell me the first thing that you can think of. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Don't compromise. That's from my mother. <laughs> What's your definition of success? Fulfillment and joy. Who inspires you and why? So many people. Um, a woman by the name of Deanna Williams, because she's like evergreen, super youthful and super generous and very um, inspiring. But also like Audrey Hepburn and Lena Horne and Dorothy Dandridge and Shirley Bassey and Barbara Streisand. So many folks. <laughs> <laughs> and they inspire me. All those people inspire me because despite existing in a time where um, the world were was against them because of their color and their, you know, blackness in general. They still managed to be glamorous and share their art with the world, despite, in spite of all that adversity, while also um, being political activists and and speaking on behalf of those less fortunate than them. So that's that's why I'm inspired by the the entertainers I named as well. What's a habit that's helped you on your journey? A habit that's helped me on my journey is something that my um, friends call the Talese factor, which is I do not hear you can't do this. So that, my habit is ignoring no. I love that. Oh, my God. You need to make words that say that. Oh, I should. Oh, my God. That's such a good idea. You should, coffee mugs. Like you could put on the front the the Talese factor and then on the back the definition. Like I don't take no. Oh, that's so good. I'm going to call them as soon as we're done. What do you want your legacy to be? I want my legacy to be that I reminded people that one, they were important and two, to despite or in spite of any hardship they're facing to live and to be present and to actually enjoy whatever that present moment was. And I hope that my music inspires them to do so. Love it. Love it. Hey, Lauren, if people want to find you online, where can they do that? 
You can find me online at Lauren Talese on Instagram. That's L-A-U-R-I-N-T-A-L-E-S-E. You could find me at laurentalise.com. You could find me on Facebook at Lauren Talese Music. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Lauren Darling. Yeah. Please reach out and don't be a stranger. I love talking to folks. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. This is so fun. Hey, before you hit pause, did you find this episode helpful and enjoyable? If so, could you leave an Apple podcast, aka iTunes review? It'll take you less than one minute and mean the world to me. The more ratings and reviews the show gets, the more people are able to find this podcast. If you're unsure how to leave a review, no worries. If you're on your iPhone or iPad, go to the homepage of this show and scroll down to write a review. Click on it and you'll be able to rate and review the show. If you're on a Mac from iTunes, go to the show homepage and on the top, click ratings and reviews. Also, please subscribe to get the latest episodes once they drop. If you enjoy the episode and know someone who would love it, please share. From your iPhone, click on the icon with three dots and then share via social media, email or text. If you want to hear more, head over to funnybrowngirl.com forward slash podcast. You can also find me online. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Funny Brown Girl. Also, sign up for my free newsletter for more tips to advance your creative journey at funnybrowngirl.com forward slash subscribe. And again, if you enjoyed the show, do me a favor and subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. Now, go flex your creative muscle and keep winning. Thank you for listening. See you next week. <laughs>